All right. Well, good morning once again. If you will, go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians. Uh, today we will begin a new series through Philippians. I told you last week we were finishing up our second summer in the Psalms. Um, and it's going to be that way for probably uh, the next 10 years or so, <laughs> however long it takes us to make it through there. Um, but starting this week, uh, we will be in the book of Philippians. We will be in Philippians throughout the month of September. And I know it kind of goes against the grain a little to start something new on a holiday weekend, but I just really feel that this is where the Lord wants us and He wants us there now. And so this morning we will begin a new series called Uncommon Joy as we look at the book of Philippians. And today we're going to start with the very first part of chapter 1. And so Paul starts right off the bat in verse 20. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's obvious right off the bat that this morning, while we will get into a little bit of meat, there's also going to be a little background to the purpose and the authorship and that sort of thing uh, for the book of Philippians. Um, it's always important to do that so we can kind of understand what Paul is getting at. Why is he writing to this church? Why is he doing this particular thing? And so right from the beginning, we see it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, if you Notice, um, probably, if you're in the ESV, like most of us probably are, but even if you're not, it probably says this as well, where it says Philippians above chapter 1. It probably says Paul's letter to the Philippians or the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And then he goes into verse 1 and he says, but Paul and Timothy. So the idea here is that Timothy is Paul's under, um, kind of understudent, right? He is training Timothy to be um, a pastor to take over a lot of ministry to prepare him for uh, the ministerial role. And so this is Paul writing, but Timothy's helping him. And, but it's Paul's message from Christ to the church at Philippi. And notice what he says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That idea of being a servant comes from the Greek word doulos, which means to be a slave or a bondservant. And so Paul is immediately telling this audience, this church, that we are servants of Christ Jesus. We are slaves to Christ. And we'll get into why that's so important in just a little bit. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Paul refers to the church at Philippians, to the people of the church of Philippi as saints. We are saints in the Lord when we come to trust in Jesus. Sainthood is not something that we strive for or can achieve. It's something that we are given when we trust in Christ. Scripture clearly shows that throughout. And so Paul shows his affection all from the beginning. For this group of people. He doesn't just see them as a project. He sees them as brothers, as sisters, 
and his children. So if you remember right, Philippians, the church at Philippi, was the first church Paul planted. And it started as an interesting group of people. If you remember, the book of Acts tells us of the three first members of the church of Philippi. It talks of Lydia, who was a dealer in fine clothing, purple goods. Um, Philippians, Philippi, I'm going to do that all, I'm going to do that a lot, especially in my notes, because I, I, I shorten everything to make sure I can squeeze it all into one page. And so I'm going to say Philippians and Philippi interchangeably, and I'm going to mess it up, and so I'm going to have to correct myself a lot. Um, but, the, but Philippi was a city, part of the Roman Empire, um, strategically located, not very far from the ports. Um, there was a lot of goods coming into Philippi. There was a lot of wealth in Philippi. It was a powerful city. And Lydia was one of those powerful people in the city of Philippi. And then you have the demon-possessed slave girl who had struggled throughout her life and through the preaching of the gospel come to know Christ. And you have the Philippian jailer. These are the first three converts that were told of the church of Philippi. Completely different backgrounds, have zero in common until they meet Jesus, and then they have everything in common. They are brought together by Christ. And it's their unity in Christ that far exceeds their Roman citizenship or their careers, whatever the case may be. I and reminded constantly, every time I hear of the Philippian church or I read the book of Philippians, I'm reminded of a quote that uh, we find in some of D.A. Carson's writings, and it's not on the screen, but I wanted to read it to you. You've heard it before. You've heard me say it before. He says, What's, What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together, not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus Himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, this is my favorite part, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And that is a clear picture of the church of Philippi. A group of people who have nothing in common except that they have been bought with a price, that they have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And it reminds us that Christians, those who trust in Jesus for salvation, receive a new identity in Jesus. We're no longer who we once were. We're no longer bound by all the things that we previously were bound by. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi to remind them of this. 
that they are saved by Jesus so that they can live for Jesus. He wants them to be filled with gratitude, to be filled with thankfulness because of the work of Christ, and then to take that gratitude and to live forth shining the light of the glory of God. In other words, he wants us, he wants them to pursue God's glory and that pursuing God's glory is where they will find their supreme joy. Now, the thing about Scripture is this. That even though Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, God is relaying this message through Paul to us as well. That we are to remember the grace that has been shown to us through Jesus. And that we have been called to live for His glory. And that living for His glory is where we will find our supreme joy. So our goal through the book of Philippians, our goal through this series is this, is to see how the life of a Christian is to be one marked by an uncommon joy. And you might say, but why uncommon joy? Isn't joy joy? Not for the Christian. There is an an uncommon joy that should exist within us, and this is why. Paul is not writing this from a terrace at the beach. Paul is not writing this during the best time of his life. Paul is writing this, and and you need to remember as we work through here, the joy that is flowing from his mouth as he is bringing this message to these people he loves so dearly. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi from prison. It's likely that he had been in prison for about two years at this point. And don't think like prison where he has, you know, good food and television and air conditioning. Like, this is a Roman prison. Rome, top of the world at this point. Their prisons are not friendly. And so I guess we need to ask the question, well, how in the world can Paul display so much joy while being in prison. He's full of joy because of the work of Jesus and the hope that he finds in Christ. And so he does, again, begin by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, the pastors and the servants. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. That type of joy, that type of hope can only be found in salvation through the work of Jesus. So whatever you're facing, whatever you may be going through, if you are a Christian, we should be filled with joy because of the salvation that has been given to us through Christ. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you are still trying to check off boxes and merit your way to God and please God enough so that hopefully at the end of your life, He will say, come on in, you did enough. You need to let go of that and you need to trust in Jesus because all of those other things are going to lead to despair and disappointment. And to a day where you stand before God and you don't hear 
enter in, my good and faithful servant. But depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, I never knew you. Church, this morning, as we begin this letter of Paul to the church of Philippi, we will see what it means to be a joy-filled servant. To have an uncommon joy. And our main idea, the main thought that I want us to remember as we work through the following verses is that a joy-filled servant has a thankful heart and desires to see others find hope in Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we open your word to begin this new journey together, may we be filled with an uncommon joy. The joy of knowing you and being known by you. A joy that supersedes all of our circumstances. We could be going through a trial of some type of sickness. We could be in the midst of losing our jobs or, or losing things that we hold so dear or securities. We could be facing just horrible anxieties. Whatever the case may be, there is a joy that exists within your people that is simply uncommon, that can only be explained through the gospel of Christ. God, in a time where we are so quick to say, poor me, let us rejoice in the work of your hands. Let us live a life filled with joy as we serve and as we live for the glory of your name. So God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. that the truth of your word would be presented through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that it would take root into each and every one of our lives. So that some of us who have never truly trusted in Jesus for salvation would be convicted of that and would come to know you today. And for the others of us who are Christians, who have trusted in Jesus, but we're just kind of in this despairing state, remind us of the joy that we have in you. So God, would you work through the preaching of your word to honor your name? And set ablaze your people with a passion for your glory and a desire to see others come to faith in Christ. Would you work in us, Father? God, as we work through these next five weeks in this powerful letter, Would you transform us through the renewing of our minds? Through the good news of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. A joy-filled servant has a thankful heart and desires to see others find hope in Jesus. As we begin to look at the following verses, we, we're kind of past the introduction, right? That's Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've heard the introduction, and now Paul turns his attention to what he's trying to say to them. And he wants to begin by reminding them and encouraging them to find joy and thankfulness. He starts in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul begins this letter with thankfulness to the Philippians, to the Philippian Christians and their partnership in the gospel. Remember, this is the first church Paul planted before he moved on to plant many other churches. And he is rejoicing in the fact that they never stopped doing the work of ministry. That they had been unified by the gospel. That's what brought them together. And that unity continued to drive them forward. They continued to go forward with the good news of Christ, seeing that other Philippians would come to know Jesus. And a big portion of Paul's letter here is, and a big portion of his joy in this letter is his gratitude for their unity in the gospel of Jesus. Again, they are a band of natural enemies brought together by Christ for Christ's sake. We're going to have differences. We're going to have things that we disagree on. But there's one thing that brings us together and always will. And that's the work of Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh and he has come to make men new. And Paul is rejoicing in the fact that they have continued together. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. There's not any mention of moments where Paul gets frustrated because of their actions. He's Thanking God in all his remembrance. Now, that doesn't mean that they were the perfect church. That doesn't mean they probably didn't have moments where he was probably frustrated at what he was hearing. But the overarching theme is his thankfulness that God was working in and through them to proclaim the good news to others. To make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. mentioned in my prayer, we live in a day where it's so easy to say, poor me, or it's so easy to focus on the negative. We could have 99.5% positive and joyous moments in the life, in our day, and we're just going to talk about that 0.5% of the bad stuff, right? Like, how's your day going? I just had a flat tire. What about the rest of your day? Did God wake you up? Did God feed you and give you a healthy family, a job? I just think we have this tendency to not live in the joy of our master. 
And so Paul begins by just rejoicing in the work that they're doing together. Right? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Why? Why is he so full of joy? Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Even though they had such different backgrounds and come from different stories and different places, through the work of Jesus, they are one unit. They are one body. And they are working together to accomplish the purposes of God. You know, we, I mention this quite often. If you've been to my house, you know this. I think four years ago, me and Allison went to an event. And in the packet where we got our tickets, they sent this sticker and it says, we need one another to carry out the mission of God. And we put it on our, our, our mirror in our uh, bathroom and we just decided to leave it to be a constant reminder that we desperately need one another. You can't live the Christian life alone. You can't live it in solitude because you're weak. I'm weak. We desperately need one another to carry out the mission of God. Do you know the work that God has done here? We are about a, a month and a week away from celebrating nine years at New City. It has taken all of us to continue moving forward, proclaiming the good news through the, the scripture, through our lives, through our work, to make sure that people are being trained and people are being raised as disciples who can make other disciples. I would have never been able to accomplish a fraction of this if I was doing it completely on my own. That's a picture of the church. We must live life together and we must be praying earnestly for each other. He says, always in every prayer of mine. And you make my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thankful. He's thankful for their work. He's thankful for their service. But he's also thankful for God's promise. He goes on in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What promise is he referring to? The promise of salvation. Because ultimately the Philippian church might fade out, right? Years, years, years will pass and there'll be ruins there. They might change their name and they might move from here to there. And a lot of those people, all of those people died. Um, Not a lot of them, all of them, they died. And the good news is, is that God's message of the gospel and that God's moving forward in building his church never stopped. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. It is His work. It's entirely His work. And it depends entirely on His power. And this should be extremely good news for us. Because you know what? We're going to fail. We have failed many times in almost nine years. 
And if God sees fit to allow us to be here for 100 or 150 or 200 years, there will be plenty of times where we fail. But he doesn't. His work in salvation never fails. And, and Paul is just resting on this promise. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. The church will continue, but, but our hope, our salvation will continue as well until we stand before God and, and we understand that He truly will see the work of salvation through. There's this kind of old school popular saying amongst um, Southern Baptists that once saved, always saved. And I, I've told you before, I like the way my, my pastor growing up always said it. He said, if saved, always saved. If we are truly converted through the gospel of Jesus, if we have truly been saved by the work of Christ, then He will keep us. He will hold us fast. He is the sure and steady anchor. The the last verse, I think it was the last verse of that song, says, Christ, the sure of our salvation. If I were in charge of my salvation, or if I could work for my salvation, or earn my salvation, then I could lose it. Thanks be to God that it is Him and Him alone who saves. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Why? So we can't be prideful and arrogant and boast about it. And it doesn't stop there. He saves us for His glory and our good so that we can continue on to do His work. And He will see it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Romans 8 tells us that, right? Flip over to Romans 8 really quick. I'm not going to read the whole chapter this time. I know I say that every time and I wind up doing it, but I'm not, okay? I'm only going to read a few verses. (laughs) And I don't mean verses 1 through 39. Let's start in verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know. All right, so quick background. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He's writing to Christians. And so he is assuring them of this. And we know. Not we think or we hope, but we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here's where we need to really pay attention and focus in this morning. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Notice the definitive nature in this. It's not possibly, maybe, as long as they are willing to do... No. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he what? He glorified. That's the hope that Paul is referring to. Glorification. When all of God's work in saving his people comes to fruition, and when we stand before him, and we are arrayed in splendor, covered by the blood of Christ, glorified. No more pain, no more tears, no more brokenness. Standing as Christ himself would stand before God. 
we find joy in thankfulness. We see Paul referring to that here, that he's rejoicing because of their work together, their unity in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel. He's thankful for God's promise that salvation is his and that it will never fail and that because of that, the church will never fail. And he's also revealing that he has a thankful heart that overflows with joy. A thankful heart will overflow with joy. So revert back, right? Flat tire. Does that ruin our entire day and our entire life? If we let it, right? If we're constantly focusing on ourselves and on our situations instead of resting in the promises of God, we're not going to live with joy because we're not going to be thankful. Right? We're going to be ticked off that we didn't get this or that we didn't get that promotion or we didn't get that account or, or we didn't get you know, this win or we didn't achieve this. We're just, we're just going to be down all the time. But if we remember the purpose of our very existence is for the glory of God because of the grace of God, then we have nothing left but gratitude. The fact that we are here this morning is simply a grace of God. The the, the air that we have in our lungs, the blood that we have flowing through our veins is all simply the grace of God. And I would say for many of us this morning, we have trusted in Christ. And so we have a salvation that comes from Him and Him alone. And that salvation should be enough to fill us with joy. The Westminster Catechism starts with this question. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we've unpacked that so many times. But our purpose for existence is the glory of God. And we live in a time where... Christian books and mainline Christian preachers and Christian music all talks about me and, and myself and making me happy and being self-centered. And that is not the gospel of Jesus. The message of the scriptures is that we are existing to glorify God above all things. And we've twisted so much because I just think our lack of understanding the word to where we think that if we seek self-happiness and we seek self-worth and all of this mess, then that's where we'll find joy. But that's completely wrong. If we want true, uncommon, lasting joy, we find that in glorifying God. Side note, that's a big reason we don't promote certain things or sing certain things because they're not biblical. And they don't help us grow in our faith. Because they show us that joy comes from far too many other places than Christ. But the reality is that joy flows from a thankful heart. You know, it, it's difficult to be joyful when there's no gratitude within our lives. Right? You can only fake a smile so long. But when there's true joy in our life, and again, 
we just spent the entire summer going through Psalms where David was broken, but he just cried out to God and he tried to rest in God and he said that his joy was in the Lord, his confidence was in the Lord. This doesn't mean that our life is going to be all happy and roses. There are still going to be many trying days and many difficult circumstances and many difficult times. And that doesn't mean that we won't cry and we won't be broken. But what we have is a joy that is only explainable through the work of God. Have you, just, have you ever met someone that it just seems like everything in their life goes wrong, but yet they're the most happy and joyful person you'll ever meet? Have you ever wondered why? That's a joy that can only come from the Lord. No one that lives their entire life with everything stacked against them and everything falling apart is going to be happy. Right? They're going to gripe and they're going to moan and they're going to complain and they're going to fuss. But when Christ is our foundation... And we remember time and time and time again that our hope is in the Lord. There's going to be a gratitude within us that's not explainable outside of the realm of Scripture. If that makes sense. Because this gratitude can only come through Christ. And remembering that God saves us from sin and the wrath that is to come. And he makes us new. Paul is urging the Philippian church to remember that. To remember that their salvation is rooted in Christ and it will not fail. And that because of the work of Jesus in their lives... That they have been brought together, unified because of the blood of Christ. And they've been set forth in motion for the glory of Christ. And because of the graciousness of Christ, those who trust Him, we receive His perfect righteousness. And so if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, but that's impossible. I can't be happy all the time. I can't be full of joy all the time. I can't like everybody in the church all the time. We need to remember that we are all sinners desperately in need of the grace of God. And many of us have found hope in Christ. And the good news is, is that when we find that hope in Christ, we are no longer who we were. We are new creations in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. And God no longer sees us as broken and as sin-stained shameful, terrible people when we trust in Him, when we trust in Jesus. He sees us as He would see His one and only Son. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. How often do we forget that? How often do we forget that for those who love God, 
and are called according to his purpose that he is working all together for good. A joy-filled servant has a thankful heart. Not thankful because of the material blessings per se, but thankful because of the work of Christ in us. We could have easily been cast aside. And God had every right to do that. But by His grace and for His glory, He chooses to work in and through us through the work of His Son, Jesus. The work of salvation creates a new people. It creates new people individually. The the work of God in me saves me. It cleanses me from all unrighteousness and presents me spotless before my God. And when that begins to happen in a group setting, you don't just have a bunch of saved, covered in righteousness individuals anymore. You have a family. A faith family who have been brought together only through the blood of Christ. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What joy. The Christian church to the outside world is an oddity when it exists under the banner of Christ. There are a lot of churches. I don't know if they could call themselves Christian churches. But when a church stands on the word of God above all other sources, and a church does everything within its power to make much of Christ, and understands that we have all been brought together through the work of Christ alone, What a beautiful thing it is. And what we see in Paul writing this letter to the church at Philippi is that second to Jesus, second to him wanting to be with Christ, his greatest desire is to be with a faith family, people that he loves and he cares for and that love and care for him back. And what we can see in that hope and what we can see and hear and learn from that promise is that Christians should greatly desire to gather with one another. Again, we need one another to carry out the mission of God. Throughout history, we, and even in our current situation, you can see places where it's illegal to be a Christian or it's illegal to gather together for worship. And you know what we see quite often in those places? They want it more than we do. And we have the freedom to gather. 
their hope and their longing to be with other people who can encourage one another and proclaim the glories of God, understanding that they know their circumstances, right? They know when they gather together with other believers that they all have fought the same battle to get there, that they could be losing their lives. And their desire to know Christ and serve Christ is far exceeding any of those potential outcomes. Because it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Is that the desire of our hearts? Are we yearning to be with the people of God? Or is it just simply another day on our schedule? Another thing that we have to attend? A joy-filled servant has a thankful heart. But a joy-filled servant finds their joy in serving Christ. Again, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus, a slave, doulos, a bondservant. Now, maybe I'm misreading history, but I'm not sure anyone has ever boasted of being a slave. Paul is. If that doesn't show the oddities of the gospel, the glorious oddities of the gospel, I don't know what does. That someone can take something that's typically derogatory and they can rejoice in it because they understand that their only hope came from the person that they are enslaved to. This clearly shows that the work of the gospel truly changes who we are because we're thrilled that we're no longer our own. We're no longer who we once were. You want to know why Paul could write these letters and pour his heart out from prison and he can rejoice while doing it? Why he can say, and we'll get to this later, but for me to live as Christ and to die as gain... Because he has understood that who he was, all of the power, all of the prestige, all of that stuff, there's a reason he counts it as rubbish. Because it was hopelessness for him. His prominence, his power, his position, none of that. None of that could give him eternal hope. But the day that God met him and floored him off of that donkey, he found eternal hope. Enough so that he was willing to forsake all of those other things. Just to know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. 
to serve. And as a servant of Jesus, Paul's heart burned with this passion for the Philippians, but but all people to be filled with the joy of Christ. So much so that he was willing to give up all of those things in order to know Christ more. And so that others could know Christ more. This week I was listening to an old Q&A with um, John Piper talking about um, pastoral ministry and worship and, and, and how you know, those things kind of work together in his life. And this is what he said. This was an answer to a question. I don't remember what the question was, but I just remember him making this, this statement. He says, I exist to create a God-loving people. I exist to create a God-loving people. How awesome is that? How different would our church, our city, our world be if that were every one of us, every Christian's desire? To make sure that we would do everything within our power so that people fall more in love with God. Not to make myself happy, Not wash my face. Not to sing songs that make much of my faith and my walk. But to rejoice in the fact that God has given me an opportunity to make much of Him. To proclaim to every person we come in contact with or we're close to that, listen, if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. And if you want true and lasting joy, you're not going to find it in this place or doing that thing. You're only going to find it in Jesus. How awesome would it be? How odd would it be if we lived with that desire? So what does Paul do? Look at verse 9. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So he's rejoicing in their unity. He's thanking God for the work they have done. He's, He's reminding them of their hope that they have in Christ. And he says, now I pray that your love will abound more and more and you will be filled with knowledge and all discernment. So he prays for their love to abound. That is their love for Jesus, their love for the word of God and their love for each other, the bride of Christ. Not their love for themselves, not their love for you know, temporal things, not their love for the life that they get to live, right? You know, for Lydia, she's probably living a pretty good life in worldly standards, the American dream. She's achieved all she wants to achieve. But even for the demon-possessed slave girl, she can have hope in God. That their love may abound, that, that nothing would come between them, that nothing would hinder their work, that their love for God would abound. That their gratitude would be overflowing because of the work that Christ had done for them. And he wants them to know Jesus, right? He wants them to know him in this way. And and he wants them to know the word so profoundly and so much so that they're prepared. 
right? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, nonstop, with knowledge and all discernment. Now, is this the message that we see today? The primary message we hear today is we, don't, we just need to love people, right? We need to, to understand what it means to have Christian virtue. No, what we need is an understanding of the Word of God. We need a foundation built on the Word of God. We need to know theology. I don't remember who said it, but I heard it several years ago. Theology leads to doxology. An understanding of the, the graciousness and the glories of God leads to a life filled with worship. And he wants them to know the word so that they would be prepared. Why? Look at the beginning of verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent. So that you can know the truth. So you can be ready in season and out of season. Listen to what he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy starting in chapter 1. Verse 6 he says, For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day, that day, what has been entrusted to me. And he skips over in what we see, chapter 2, verse 15. So he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. His hope for them, my hope for you, our hope for each other should be this. That as true servants of Jesus, we should be rooted in God's word so that we may be presented and we may help present our brothers and our sisters as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? To the glory and praise of God. Church, this should be our desire. To do everything we can in order to see others made holy. Not happy, holy. Our joy comes from knowing Christ. How wonderful would it be for us if this was our priority? How great of an impact could we make if we cared more for each other's spiritual condition than our own wants and desires? A joy-filled servant 
overflows with thankfulness because of the work of Christ and the people they get to do the work of Christ together with and to serve Him with everything they have. I want us to be both encouraged and challenged by what we've read and what we've heard today. I want us to be joy-filled servants of Christ. And not to serve out of duty, not to serve because we think we have to, not to serve because we need to check off another box or so that so-and-so will see us serving or so that we can be approved by man, but to serve as an overflow of delight because of the graciousness we have found in Jesus. So be thankful. Be thankful for the salvation that you have in Christ Jesus and serve Him with gladness. And may you strive to work for His glory and to be filled with extravagant joy. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we were separated from You because of the sin and the corruption within us. But by grace... You saw fit to pour your wrath out on your son instead of your people. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for sacrificing your own son so that your adopted sons and daughters could find hope in life. God, I pray that if there's someone here today that has never truly surrendered their lives to Jesus for salvation, God, that you work in their hearts so that they would come to know you. God, I pray for the many of us who just struggle sometimes to find joy in the everyday walk of life. Remind us that we have within us a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. May we live in such a way as to glorify you over all things. And find joy, uncommon joy in serving you. In your wonderful name that we pray. Amen.